0: Start this. So I I, I do record these. I'm starting the recording now so that we can uh, send them out if you have to miss one or something. That way you can stay up to date. And uh, if you're new to the group, which I see some new faces, which is always exciting, um, I'll send you the link and you can listen to the previous lessons that we've done before. And so last time we met was pre-COVID. And uh, so it's been a long time and really excited to get started again. And we began a series at that time on... The, the habits and commitments of a godly leader and just looking at what does it mean to be a man of God and a man who is is leading in our family and uh, in the world and so we'll be looking at that for a while as we just walk through the different aspects of, of spiritual leadership and the things that need to be present in our lives for us to be the kind of leaders that God intends for us to be but before we begin why don't we start with a word of prayer and then we'll dive in Lord God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together as men this morning and to open your word and to begin our day just thinking on the best things, thinking on uh, the truth that you've revealed for us about the way we're to live our lives, the way we're to think about our life in the world. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be men who are truly godly in our character, uh, who who live in our private lives, what we profess in our public lives, that we would be men who lead our wives and children and grandchildren well, and that in the workplace, we would be a force for the gospel, and that you would uh, just use us as long as you have us here on this planet for the glory of your name. Bless our time now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I can't tell you how how good it does my heart to see the the headlights coming in at 5 45 and guys piling into a house i know it's early and some of you may not be early risers um but i I do it this early because it 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 kind of removes excuses because guys can still get to work hopefully is the idea we can get together we can have time together it's not stealing from family time because they're probably still asleep um and we can spend some regular time together so I look forward to this time every month. Right now, for the, through this end of the year, we'll do this once a month. We may pick it up to twice a month after the first of the year, um, but for now, we'll do it uh, once a month on Thursday mornings. And what I want us to understand is that leadership begins with who we are and what we're committed to behind the scenes. To be a leader is, we, we think of a person that's out front and a person that is seen and that's visible. And while that's true at some point, if you're going to lead, you're going to have to be out front and visible. But the characteristics that have to be true of of a leader begin before he's ever in public. They begin with who you are in private. They begin with who you are before your family ever wakes up in the morning. And so what what we're going to focus our time on uh, primarily, especially in the beginning, is not so much Um, You know, styles of leadership and Leadership 101 and all those kinds of things. But what are the commitments behind the scenes that have to be just the regular rhythm of your life if you're going to be and if I'm going to be a godly leader in our homes and in the world? The success that we hope to have in shepherding our wives and our kids begins before they wake up. If you're going to shepherd your wife through a trial in life, It begins with you being the kind of man you need to be long before the trial ever hits. If you wait until you're in the trial and then begin to try to cultivate these things, you're already behind the eight ball. And so what we want to do is cultivate the things that God requires as the regular habit of who we are. And then when God places things in our lives, we're already in the right frame of mind and disposition and have the wisdom that we need to shepherd our families well through that. Think of your progress in sanctification like the growth of a muscle. In order for a muscle to perform well under pressure, you have to have been exercising that muscle on a regular basis over time. If you want to run a marathon successfully, think of the things that you need to do if you want to run a marathon. Some of you guys are runners or athletes and things like that. I'm not so much of a runner anymore. If I was to go and try to run a marathon this afternoon, I would would fail. But if I took a year and I committed myself over the course of that year to, to diet and exercise that prepped me for a marathon, I could probably make it happen. That's the kind of thing we're talking about right now. To be a godly leader, you must first be a godly man. Think about when you meet someone that you would call truly a spiritual leader. A man that when you talk to him, you're encouraged and you're edified and at times you're challenged and, and, and admonished. A kind of man that you want to get behind and follow. Understand that what you're seeing when you talk to that person and when you look at their life is really like looking at the tip of an iceberg. The scientists tell us that what we see visibly above the surface of an iceberg is the 10% of that iceberg. The 90% of its mass is below the water. And so what we see in the leadership of a truly godly man, what's visible, is is supported by what's underneath, which is 90% of who the man is. And that's all going on behind the scenes before you ever hear him speak or watch his life. In the same way, we as godly men have to be cultivating our character and our disciplines behind the scenes If we want to lead well so what I want to do is we're going to be looking over the next several lessons at some of those those disciplines that have to be a part of our lives and I realize some of you are new and those of you that that have been with us in the past I'm sure have forgotten most if not all of what I said or or at least when I said it I, I have to confess I had to go back and remind myself exactly where we left off so we did two lessons in this series Before uh, before today. And so I want to spend part of our time just giving you an overview of those because they lead into the message today And then I'm going to send out the link for the recording so you can listen to the full messages if you would like to So you don't miss anything But the first lesson that we did lesson number one was the necessity of loving God's word The necessity of loving God's word and I worded it that way carefully on purpose because it's not just having a commitment to the Word of God. We have to begin before that. Where does a commitment to the Word of God begin? We're, we're not. We're going to get to disciplines and, and things that have to be patterns. But before we get there, we have to get to the motivation of that. And it is a love for God's Word. You have to, you have to desire the Word of God. Just like the psalmist says that your words are, are sweeter to my mouth than, than Honey. Oh, how I love your law. It is the met, my meditation all the day. This, this heart of a genuine love for the Word of God that then drives these commitments and discipline. But if you flip that around and you just make this about cold, rigid discipline, then, then you miss the heart of it. The, the, the men that are truly godly men are disciplined, but they're disciplined because it's driven by their affection for God and their affection for His Word. And so that's where we have to begin. And I made just a couple of key points about the necessity of loving God's Word. Number one, love for Scripture begins with love of God. Love for Scripture begins with love of God. 1 John 2, 3-6 says, By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or how about John 14, verses 23 to 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. A love for Scripture begins with a love of God. But secondly, devotion to Scripture is born out of a love for the Scripture. Devotion to Scripture is born out of love for the Scripture. When we went through this lesson uh, in detail we read through psalm 119 the whole the whole psalm that that morning you may remember that if you were there and and throughout that psalm we're not going to do that this morning uh, but throughout that psalm there are several places where we see the motivation for the desire to be in the word of god and it is a love for the word i'm going to read just a couple of segments from psalm 119 psalm 119 verses 9 to 16 Verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. That's a a memory verse that you probably have in, in in your mind, but have you ever thought about that? Your word I have treasured in my heart. There's a love for the word of God. He goes on, verse 12, "...Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word." Notice the affection that he has for the word. One other segment of Psalm 119, perhaps my favorite. It's the one at least that I turn my thoughts to most often. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. 97 to 104. This is the one that I I quoted earlier. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, Because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Notice he mentions love for the law of God, and then he compares it to the sweetness of of honey to his mouth. This is where devotion to the scripture begins. We're devoted to the scripture if we love the scripture. Thirdly, the word of God is the means the spirit uses in sanctification. The word of God is the means the spirit uses in sanctification. I'm just going to quote a couple of passages. Think of in Colossians 3:16, we'll get there uh before too long in our study but he says let the word of christ dwell richly within you he's tying that to our our sanctification that as in order for us to grow in christ the word of christ has to richly dwell within us a verse that we'll look at in more detail here in a moment first timothy 4 6 he says that in pointing out these things to the brethren you'll be a good servant of christ jesus constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. A spiritual nourishment that comes from the Word of God. 1 Peter 2:2, two, two, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. Just as a baby is, is sustained and grows from the, his mother's milk, so we grow from the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's the result. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. John 17, 17, in Christ's high priestly prayer, he prays to the Father. And he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Speaking of his disciples. And then he says, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth your word is true. There are many others that we could look at, but there is a direct correlation between the word of God and our growth and progress in the faith. You cannot grow disconnected from the scriptures. The the Holy Spirit uses the inspired word of God to grow us in the faith. And then fourthly, the last point that we looked at was that the word of God is the means by which we lead both our wives and our children The word of God is the means by which we lead our wives and our children. Uh, When you think about leadership of your wife in connection with the word, think of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. There, he's obviously describing the love of Christ for the church, that sacrificial love of Christ where he gives himself over for his bride, the church. But then notice how he describes this. He says, Husbands, beginning in verse 25, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her. That is, that He might progressively make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Having cleansed her by washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Notice that the, saint, the connection between sanctification and the washing with the Word of God. That's how Christ sanctifies His church, but the implication is that that's also how we shepherd and love our wives, is with the Word of God, both in demonstrating the Word of God and how we treat them. But more than that, knowing the word of God well enough that we can come alongside and shepherd their hearts and minds with the truth in a loving way. Same thing with our children in Ephesians chapter 6, the next chapter. He gives the command in verse 1 to our kids, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then he comes down to the parents in verse 4 and says, Fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruction of the Lord is, is teaching them the things that the Scripture says. And so the Word of God is not only the, the connection point of our sanctification, but it is where our lead, the focus of our leadership should be in shepherding the hearts of those God's entrusted to us. Now that's a summary of the first lesson. Let me give you a summary of the second lesson and then we'll move on to some new material. So lesson number two, uh, we we started last time, and then we'll finish today. So lesson number two, I entitled, A Pattern of Discipline. A Pattern of Discipline. So the first lesson dealt with that, the motivating factor. A love for Scripture is what motivates our discipline. And it's key that we start there. But now we're going to move into, okay, I love the Scriptures practically, what are the disciplines that need to be a part of my life in relationship to the Scripture? And so this is going to be all about Bible intake. How, what are the ways that I need to be taking in the Scriptures in order to be a godly man? And so we're going to look at both the command for discipline and the practice of discipline. The command of dis- for discipline and the practice. And here's the, the main idea. Every Christian is called to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. Every Christian is called to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. That is, this is not, what I'm laying before us this morning is not for the spiritually elite. It's it's not for those that say, well, yeah, I want to go to the next level. Well, it is true that you will grow in your sanctification, but this is what God calls a Christian. A Christian is to be on a lifelong journey of progressing in the faith. So this is for each one of us. Now, let's look at the command for discipline specifically. And to do that, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll look more in depth at a verse that I quoted here just a second ago. 1 Timothy 4. Now, I think you know this, but Timothy, of course, was discipled by Paul... And at this point in Timothy's life, he's been commissioned by Paul to shepherd as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So here he is, he's the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and Paul writes to him this letter of encouragement and instruction. And there was apparently some false teaching, as there often was, going on in and around the church. And so part of his instruction in 1 Timothy deals with how Timothy's to respond to that. And it's in that context that we get the words that we're going to read together now. So let's begin. Uh, we'll begin in verse 1, just for the sake of context of chapter 4, and read down through verse 9. He says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For this this we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men especially of believers now there's a lot here my goal is not to exposit in exhaustively this text but rather to draw out the key principles at beginning in verse 6 he calls on Timothy to teach uh, the, the things that he's against the things he's just described in verses 1 to 5 these false doctrines that will arise but he goes on from that to give two commands. One's a negative command and one's a positive command. In verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do. That's the, that's the negative command. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now, and that doesn't translate well. It comes across as if it's offens- offensive to older ladies. It's actually more likely a, a Greek idiom, kind of like an old wives' tale is, a, is an idiom that we would use. It wouldn't have been offensive. It was probably something used in philosophical debates. And so think of it as, as a cultural statement, not so much putting down older women. But he's saying, have nothing to do with this false teaching. Have nothing to do with these things that I've just mentioned. On the other hand, here comes the positive. Discipline yourself. There's the command. Discipline yourself for what? For the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. For the purpose of godliness. And this is a present active command. That is, it's to be an ongoing active reality in our lives. The word discipline means to train. Train yourself. It's the same idea of uh, and it's actually a word that was used for athletes who would be training for an athletic competition discipline yourself do the do the things in, for an athlete with your diet with your with your exercise routine to get ready for this activity and do it on an ongoing basis it's it's the picture for us of submitting ourselves to a pattern of intentional discipline so that we would have the end result of godliness <clears throat> for the purpose of godliness Godliness refers to a pattern of life devoted to God and his glory. It it is to pursue the character of God. To be a godly man means that you in your character reflect the character of God. Obviously not perfectly, but in, in the direction of your life. And that's the goal. That's what each of us are called to. Godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And Paul goes on to say that this is extremely profitable. He says bodily discipline is only of little profit. He's not saying that there's no no benefit at all in disciplining our bodies. We should be stewards of our bodies. It's just that disciplining your body, no matter how successful you are at it, if you become a bodybuilder and you're on magazines and you have 0.1% body fat, the thing is you, you die and that goes in the ground. Whatever benefit you gained from it, you gained it in this life only. But godliness is profitable, he says, for all things. For all things. The idea is that that godliness, that whatever level of godliness you attain by God's grace in this life, goes with you. You don't leave that behind, but instead, as God glorifies you ultimately and brings you to Himself, that has present day application. Whatever godly level of godliness you have will affect your present day life. But it also will affect your eternal life. God will glorify us fully when he brings us to himself. But the Bible even says that God will, will give us rewards. This blows my mind. God not only saves us, then he sanctifies us, and he gives us rewards for the, our faithfulness to him and how we've used the gifts he's given us in this life. And so godliness, of course, is profitable for all things. It will have eternal benefit, but Paul says, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It transfers from this life to the next. And that's why he says this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, that all of us should adopt this statement. Now, that's the command for discipline. But just like choosing a, a, a proper workout routine is important for, for whatever goal you have. If, you, if your desire is an endurance to run a marathon, then you're going to work out in a certain way that gets your body ready for that. If your desire is to build muscle, then you're going to work out a different way in order to accomplish that. You understand that. But you want to choose a routine that matches the goals that you have in mind. Spiritually, when we discipline ourselves, it's, it's very similar in the sense that we want to think intentionally about what are the things that will push me to accomplish the goals that God says I should have for myself in the pursuit of godliness. And what I want to emphasize, and I'll I'll do this often, is that faithfulness to a a, a rigid uh, system of discipline is not in and of itself a guarantee of godliness. I want to be careful about that. It, it is true that unless you discipline yourself for godliness, you will not grow, at least at the rate that you would need to in godliness. But just because you wake up and read your Bible every day doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to grow in godliness. I have met people who read their Bible faithfully who are not godly in their character. And it's because, it's like going to the gym and having no idea what you're doing, right? and using all of, the, all of the weights in the wrong ways, um, rather than, than using the equipment to get the most out of it to gain the benefit. To, if you want to measure and track your growth and holiness, don't do it by how often you read your Bible, although I'm going to encourage you to read your Bible a lot here in just a minute. But do it instead by looking at the fruits of the Spirit, for example. What does the Bible say that, that will be produced in a life that is controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit? What are some of the fruits of the Spirit? Peace. peace. Somebody said peace. Okay, what's another one? Gentleness, peace, love, joy, Gentleness love, joy, peace, patience, <coughs> okay. self-control. self-control. So th- here's the idea. There is, there is a pattern that has to be a part of our life. But the way you know if it's working is not by going back to the pattern and seeing how faithful you're doing the pattern, but rather looking at what it's producing in your life. If what you're doing is not making you more like Christ, you're not more patient, you're just as angry as you were before with your kids and just as short-tempered, you're not more self-controlled, you're not gaining victory over the sins in your life, something is wrong. Okay, so the, the, the discipline that you've set yourself towards is not producing the results that you Intended, it's like starting a diet and gaining fifty pounds. Your diet didn't work, right? So go back to, go back to the drawing board. So what I want to help us do is is draft a, a practice of discipline that, when done rightly, will result by by God's grace and the work of the Spirit in these attributes of godliness. So let's look at the practice of discipline. Now, to help us with this, I have, I'm taking the, the structure of what I'm going to say from a book that I would recommend to you by Don Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. It's very helpful. And we're going to look at what the different categories. So what I'm taking from him really are the categories that he gives of Bible intake. What are the ways that we need to be regularly taking in the Word of God. And the first category that he mentions is we need to hear the Word. Hear the Word. This is uh, obvious. It's cultivating a regular practice of sitting underneath the teaching of the Word of God. This obviously begins with the Sunday morning, making sure that you and your family are regularly a part of the body and sitting underneath the teaching of the Word of God. But in our day and age, because of the invention of electronics and things like that, we we can be under the Word of God on a much more regular basis even than Sunday. You can have the the best expositors in the world, some of them that have already passed on, on your phone or on your computer and listening to sermons throughout the week. And I would encourage you to to adopt that as a normal pattern, whether it's a an actual sermon, or mixing in some helpful podcasts that are truly going through the scriptures to help you understand different different things. Um, there are many recommendations I could give you, but uh, I know with COVID it's changed our routine. Some of you may have had a long commute and you no longer commute, but whenever you usually or potentially listen to the radio and things like that, for at least some of that time, Change your pattern to listen to things that will spiritually benefit you, where you're, you're putting yourself, again, another opportunity to be under the teaching of the Word of God. We need to hear it. God's designed us that way. He's commanded us to come, certainly, to the, the public gathering. But beyond that, we have opportunities to avail ourselves of these resources. The second one is the, is the one that we think of most often, and that is read the Word. Read it. Some of you don't like to read, and that's okay. Many don't like to read, but you need to read. I, I don't. I, there are many other helpful books that I would recommend to you I think would be good for you to read, but you don't have to read those. You do have to read the Bible. Like it or not, you need to read the Bible. You know, all of us have heard this a thousand times. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, and yet... Often, we find ourselves asking for prayer or accountability because, why? We're just not reading our Bibles. Why is that? Why don't we read the Scripture more faithfully? R.C. Sproul says this way. He says, Here, then, is the real problem of our negligence, he means of, of the Word of God. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. And, and that is true. When, when we, I mean, I know many of you are in, in busy careers and, and, and businesses and things and you're busy and you have, you have family life and all those things, but none of us are truly so busy that we have no time to read the Word of God. It's just that we insert other things in those gaps, rather than the Word of God. When we get in a pattern of using our free time for other things, it just becomes a, a cyclical pattern that's that's addictive. And we have to break that cycle to say, no, I'm going to begin by prioritizing the things that matter most. I'm not saying you can't ever enjoy time of relaxation, that they're... they're Biblical principles and Ecclesiastes of enjoying life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy a TV show with your wife, for example. I am saying that if, if you're using all of your extra time for me time, uh, that, that's a, a bad pattern that will not produce a pattern of godliness. Reading can be difficult. It, the thing, it can be things in the scripture that are difficult to understand. But this is the only book that God has inspired. This is it. This is this is the means that God has said he, the Spirit will use to make you a more godly man. And so you must avail yourself of it. Uh, it perhaps if, if Bible reading hasn't been a regular part of your life, you look at this book and it seems long. It seems like I don't know if I'll ever get through it, particularly in certain sections like Leviticus and things like that where you get tor- tor- towards the middle and you're thinking, I, I just, I'm, I'm lost, I don't know what's going on here. But it's actually not as long as you think. Whitney mentions in his book that the Bible on, on MP3, has, this is an older book, so we don't use MP3 anymore, but the Bible recorded has proven that we can read the entire Bible in less than 71 hours. That's how long the recording is. And so when you put it in those kind of terms, it's actually not that long. He, he also notes that if you just read the Bible at an average pace for 15 minutes a day, you'll finish in less than a year. That's that, that Those are attainable goals when you start to put them in those words. So how do we get started? If, if Bible reading hasn't been a regular part of your life, or maybe it is a regular part of your life and you just want to do it better, let me give you some practical things that you can do to make sure that this is the normal pattern of your life. And I'm, I am uh, borrowing these also from Mike Fabaris Mike Fabaris has a really helpful plan on prioritizing reading the scripture. The first thing that he mentions, and these are all common sense, but they're things that we often fail to do. Number one, set a regular time every day. Set a regular time every day. Some of you guys may work a job where your shifts change and things like that, and so what I would encourage you to do is when you get your schedule for how, whatever length of time, two weeks or whatever it is, then make your Bible reading schedule based off of that. And you may have to set a time more regularly than other guys. Some of you guys have a very regular cyclical pattern in life. So set a time, and that's the time, and I'm going to get up by that time, and I'm going to be in the Word of God. But set, don't, don't just say, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow. So I'm going to read the Word at such and such a time. Set an actual goal. Secondly, pick a place. That sounds simple, but it's, it's really helped me in my life to have a spot. This is, this is where I read my Bible, and I read it there every time. Um, at the same time, in the same place, and God has made our bodies in such a way, just like when you get in the bed, you get sleepy. It's because you've built your, that routine into your life. You're building a routine that when I go there, I read the Scriptures. And, and it needs to be a spot that's well-lit, and that's not too comfortable. It's not, they don't have to sit on a rock. But, it, you know, but roll, turning on your lamp and staying in your bed and reading your Bible is probably not the best solution. And if you've ever tried that, you know why. You'll read for about 30 seconds and you'll be sawing logs. Get out of bed. Some of you, it may be helpful. Take a shower, get dressed for the day, and then go to your spot. Do whatever you have to do to be mentally aware and ready to read the scriptures. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones the other day. I really like to listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. And um, he was saying that we, we read the scriptures often with half our brain or less, you know, and because we just kind of mindlessly numb through it. That's a temptation we all struggle with, but what will help with that is making sure that you're in the right spot and, and maybe having showered or whatever it is that helps you wake up and be ready. Set yourself up for success to read the scriptures. Thirdly... 're going to so you 're going to have a regular time, a regular place, and you 're going to pick a, a medium that is what are you going to use are you 're going to use a physical bible are you 're going to use your ipad you- some of you maybe your your phone i tried that once it 's pretty hard but if, if, you, if that's your if that 's your thing great but pick a medium and if you particularly if you haven 't been reading the scriptures regularly for some time, it might be nice just to buy a new Bible you buy a new Bible and start a new and so i 'm going to use this bible it 's going to be my reading Bible. And and just kind of as a as a new commitment, um, that's a good thing. But it's a good gift, by the way, for someone as they enter into different stages of life. My parents retired a couple of years ago, and so we bought them new Bibles. And it's kind of a way to say this is a new segment of your life, but it's a segment that's still going to be filled with the Word of God, and God's still got plans for you. And so you know, it's it's it can be helpful. Just to kind of turn over a new a new leaf. So pick a medium, and and, and it's kind of nice to have. I have a lot of Bibles laying around the house, but I typically read one in the morning. That's that's the one that I go to. And just, just again, setting that pattern. That, people of routine set that pattern. Fourthly, pick a plan. Pick a plan, a reading plan. Uh, don't just put your thumb somewhere and plop open and, and read. Uh, it's the Word of God, and so it's not that you can't derive any benefit from that, but the benefit's going to be much less than if you actually have a systematic plan for reading either through a book uh, or through what I would encourage is read, read through the Bible in a set amount of time. Now, I say that with this caveat. If you've not been in the pattern of reading the Scripture for some time, I would rather you pick an attainable goal and do that than say, I'm going to read the Bible this year cover to cover, get, get three weeks in, and you're so far behind that you get discouraged and quit. Uh, don't do that, okay? I'd much rather you read it every day and read for five minutes than not read at all. But I do think it's a helpful, reasonable goal to to want to push yourself to read the Bible in a year, in a year's time. It's a doable uh, goal. If Again, if you haven't been reading, then maybe start with the New Testament and say, okay, over the next six months, I want to read all the way through the New Testament. Get yourself going in a regular pattern, and then you'll find it's actually not that hard to read the Scripture in a year. Now, when, with that, there's another caveat. I wouldn't necessarily suggest, although I've done it and it's not a bad thing to do, but I wouldn't suggest starting with Genesis 1-1 and trying to read all the way through Revelation in the year. The problem is that goes really well through about halfway through Numbers. And then, and then usually... Um, uh, you 're just like oh i 've just either Leviticus or numbers somewhere in there people quit, and so they know Genesis and Exodus really well, right they got them, <laughs> but Leviticus and numbers not so much. So what I would encourage you to do is is one of two things: one, I emailed out a plan back in January that 's a five day reading plan, and I can send that out to you again, and it 's a read through the Bible in a year. Uh, reading five days a week. The idea is not that you don't read on the other days, but that you have time to either catch up if you get behind or read and study, study something more deeply on those other two days. Um, But if you've ever done a reading plan where it's kind of a checklist and it's every day and you get behind two or three days, it just gets really discouraging. What I like about this one is you get behind, well, you've got Saturday and Sunday to catch up, and by month, come Monday, you're right back on routine, and you don't get behind. Or if you're on, then you can either read ahead or or study another book more deeply. That one is more of a chronological plan, where you're going to read things as they happened historically, but it also keeps you in the New Testament and Old Testament at the same time. So when you're in Leviticus, you're also reading something from one of the Gospels, or something that's that's truthfully just a little bit easier to read. And so it keeps you going through that plan. You can either do that or I've also done it where I'll start in Genesis 1, Psalm 1, and Matthew 1 and read three chapters a day and just kind of read through in that way. And that'll get you through the Bible in roughly a year if you do that. So those are some options, but whatever the plan you desire, pick a plan. And then finally, get a partner. Number five, get a partner. And it doesn't mean a partner so that you sit shoulder to shoulder to read with, but someone that you just just tell, hey, this is my time, this is my place, this is my medium, and I'm going to read through this plan. Uh, maybe you pick a plan and do it. Maybe it's your wife. But have someone that knows the plan. So that's reading the Word. Next, The next uh, category is study the Word. Study the Word. Now this... Not all of these happen every day, so I'm, don't, don't, say, don't think you have to block out five hours uh, to do this. Studying the Word will happen more like once a week, uh, depending on your time of, of life, life stage. But studying the Word is just going deeper. When you're reading through in a year, really try to avoid rabbit trails. Right, where you, you read something and, oh, that's interesting, and next thing you know, you're cross-referencing and you've spent an hour, but you didn't make it past five verses, right? The, you discipline yourself for that time. It's more of a high-level view. It's more quantity. You're, you're trying to get through the Bible and understand at a high level all that's there. Study is where we go down into the weeds. Now we're going to pick a, what we'll call a pericope. A pericope is a unit of thought, so it's, it's usually a few verses um, that, that has an idea. And so maybe you say, I want to study the book of 1 Peter. And so what that'll look like is just a few verses at a time with a piece of paper, working your way through that. That's where you're cross-referencing. Um, you're following those cross references That's where you're looking up words and key definitions. That's where you're diagramming that text. If you know how to do that, if you don't, I will teach you. Um, that's where you're looking at a commentary or two about that passage. So now we've moved beyond just reading it to actually studying it. And studying is, is not, you don't have to be, it's not rocket science. Uh, grab one commentary and grab a pen and paper, write out the, the, the verse on the piece of paper or print it double-spaced and start making observations. Start writing out notes and saying, oh, look how that connects to this. Read all the cross-references that are in that Bible. What You may not know realize this, but different translations often have uh, different cross-references for things. So what I'll do when I'm studying is I'll pull open uh, NAS, ESV, New King James, the NIV, and the Christian Standard, Holman Christian Standard Bible, and I'll look at the cross-references that all of them give, and you you find you get a, a bigger scope, and it shows you different places in the text. But studying the text is a smaller portion, reading through it several times in context, you're looking, for, uh, you're looking for connections and key points and cross-references. And the goal is to find the, the timeless principle in that text. What's the, what's the universal principle that's always true for all time, for all people? When I understand that in context, that's what I'm going to apply then to my life, is that universal. It, it, every text is written at a specific point in time to, by a person to a specific group of people. And so there may be an application that is specific to them in that moment. But there will always be a universal principle we can draw from that. Let me give you a quick example. So you may be reading even in Leviticus where it talks about um, if, if your ox gores a man, here's what you're to do. You're like, man, I don't have an ox. I don't even know what is an ox. A cow, what is an ox? You know, I mean, you're not, so you're like, that, that obviously doesn't apply to me. Well, it, that specific instance may not apply to you, but you back up and there's a universal principle that if you, something on your prop, someone gets hurt on your property or you do something and your negligence causes another person to be injured, make it right and take care of that person. See there's, so there's a universal principle even from your ox-goring a man. Okay? And that's what I'm talking about. It has, a, it has a specific application to that person in the text, but if you back up, there's a universal application that you can apply to your life. Now, all of that was an overview of the first two lessons. And I want to use the the last remaining moments that we have. We have about 13 minutes here. Um, I have a commitment to stop right at 7 because I know some of you have to get to work. If you have time to hang around and talk, we'll talk. But for those that have to jet... And by the way, if you have to leave a few minutes prior to 7, no one's going to look at you funny. I know you may have to get to work. But I want to finish out this... uh, discipline through the word with a, with a few other points. So the next step after uh, studying the word is memorize the word. Memorize the word. Now we're taking another step forward in Bible intake. And memorize the word is, is where a lot of us fall off the wagon. Um, and, and I hear often from folks, you know, I just don't memorize well. And, and the truth is, I don't think culturally we memorize well because memorization is a lost art. We have so many electronic things that, that have benefits. I'm not knocking. I use it. But when I was a pre-cell phone, I can't tell you how many phone numbers I had memorized, right? They're just in there. Some of them are still like in my subconscious, all right? The phone numbers I have memorized. Um, until I got a cell phone that would store them, right? And so I didn't need to use that function anymore, so I I didn't use it. And it's not a sinful thing, it's just we we had technology. But I I began to lose the art and the skill of memory. And so it's tempting to think, well, I just don't memorize well. Well, it's not that you don't memorize well. You have a brain, just like people had brains hundreds of years ago that memorized large portions of, of data. It's just that we're not used to exercising that muscle, And so it's a matter of disciplining yourself to start exercising that muscle. It is true that God has gifted some people with a mind that can memorize quickly and hold it and retain larger amounts of information than others. Um, I'm not one of those people, I'm I'm more of a plotter. I I memorize things and I have to review them regularly or they leave my brain. But still, the value of memorization uh, cannot be overstated. Don't be discouraged when you meet those people that seem to memorize with great ease and their proficiency. I had a professor in seminary that was unparalleled. And a student would ask a question, and he would go to the board. He never had his Bible. He would just, as they're asking the question, he would go begin to write references on the board. And not one, like 10 or 15, from memory. And then he would systematically walk through the references and answer the guy's question from the text it was i've never seen anything like do you have dr R ever at southwestern i've never seen anybody like this and so it's easy to be discouraged by that or we could be encouraged by that and say i'm gonna i'm gonna discipline myself to reach whatever capacity god's given me in my brain i may not get to where i can write out 40 references from memory but i can do one or two i can do i can do maybe three to five and, and over over time, as you do, as you memorize the word over time, you get where your, your repertoire is is growing. But I don't want us to think of, I, I think we all get Bible reading. It's like, yeah, we need to do that. That's, that's kind of, got to do that. We get to Bible memory, and we, we start to see that course kind of in the optional category. That's like the, the cherry on top, right? You, you know... And some guys are going to do that, and they're good at that, more power to them. I can Google it, I can find it, I'll find my way. Well, I don't think, as we look at Scripture, I'm going to argue that Scripture memory is not as optional as we would think. But rather, it's expected as the regular pattern of a godly mind. The regular pattern of a godly mind is consumed with the Scripture, and, and we're gonna, that's when you read of people in the scripture and when you read of the process of sanctification and how we fight sin, it, it calls us to renew our minds. I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but I want to mention really quickly, I did a whole lesson on the process of change. That is, when I have a sin issue, how do I go from losing the battle to winning the battle with that sin? And the process of change is laid out in Ephesians four. And it's really a three-step process. Here's the temptation to sin in front of me. And the process is this. Put off, renew your mind, and put on. Put off, renew your mind, and put on. That is, put off like taking off a jacket and throwing it away from you, the sinful inclination to do whatever that is. You've got to throw it away from you. Stop. Stop yourself in your tracks and renew your mind, step two. What does that mean? That means bring your mind back to the truth of Scripture. I'm tempted to do this or to think this or to say this, but I stop and I bring myself and say, but God's Word says I should do this or think this or say this. How do you do step two if you don't know what's in here, right? And so what I'm arguing is we need to be regularly treasuring or hiding the Word in our heart, memorizing the Scripture, so that I may not sin against you, the psalmist says. I treasure your word in my heart. I memorize it so that I may not sin against you. What are you talking about? That's the weapon. When I, when I am tempted to sin, I bring my mind back to the scripture, renew my mind with what the word of God says, and then I put on the final step. I walk in the, what the Bible says is true. I put off, stop myself, bring myself back to what the Bible says, and then I choose to walk in what the Bible says. Without scripture memory, you can't use the biblical process for fighting sin. And so you have to discipline yourself to memorize the scriptures on a regular basis. And I would I would uh, recommend to you a tool that I use most mornings that's called if you're an electronic person, it's called the Bible Memory App. Uh, really easy easy name. The Bible Memory App. It used to be called Scripture Typer, and they changed it to the Bible Memory App. And uh, we, have, we have all of the memory verses in that app that we're doing for small group. So um, you already have built-in verses that we're prompting you to memorize for your small group time. Those are built-in. There's a group there called NBC. I think it's called NBC Small Groups or something like that. Now if, you, if, if you go into the group section and type in NBC, it should pull up. And it will import all the verses that we've already done so far in small groups. And the way it works is you pick the verse you're going to do, and it has three different levels. It has one where it shows you all the words, and when you start, the words start to kind of come in and out. And you just type the first letter of each word. And as you type the first letter, it gives you the rest of the word, and you make your way all the way through. If you mess up, your phone will vibrate. Um, and it's kind, of, it's kind of like a game. The second step is only about half the words are there, and it kind of prompts you. The third step is it's blank. But I've found that to be a really easy way, um, one, to curb the, the desire to open your phone when you have 10 seconds and look at Facebook. If you can switch that pattern to open your phone and click on Scripture Typer or Bible Memory app uh, and replace that, now you're, now you're regularly... Bringing your mind back to the scripture. But here's the reason uh, that this is so important. It's because of number five. So meditate on, our script. sorry, memorize number five is meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. So think of it this way. It's like take an orange, and if you want to get the benefit from that orange, uh, you have to first cut it open. That's memorizing the word meditating on the word is once you've cut it open now you're going to squeeze that orange and get all of the rich juice out of it both of them are important without scripture memory you can't access the fruit to cut it open but but scripture memory is really a gateway to what the bible calls us to which is to meditate on the scriptures and that's squeezing out of it everything that you can get and so the reason I think Scripture memory is so important is because biblical meditation is the the consistent description of godly people in the Bible. They meditate on the Word of God. Now, meditation has, has really kind of gone out of vogue, I think, in the church in, at large. It's just not talked about. And so there's a lot of confusion about what we mean when we say you need to meditate. And the confusion, I think, comes in part because... Uh, unbiblical meditation, Eastern meditation, has become very popular in the world at large uh, through influences of yoga and things like that where the idea of Eastern meditation is to, to try and fully empty your mind, right, of all conscious thought. Sit somewhere and hum and make weird sounds and empty your mind. Biblical meditation is the opposite of that. It is to fill your mind with the Scripture on purpose, it's to it is to take the scripture and to and to squeeze it and to and to concentrate your mind upon what the bible says to get all the rich marrow out of the word of god so when you hear meditation if that hits you kind of funny it's just because the word's been so attached to eastern meditation it sounds strange but biblical meditation is a command of scripture and it is the regular pattern of truly godly men and people in general meditate upon the scripture Think about the verse we read earlier, Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He's squeezing that orange all day long to get the richness out of what he's memorized. Psalm 1:1: How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. How about Psalm 63, 6 and 7? When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. He says, when I'm awake at night in my bed, where does my mind go? I meditate upon you in the night watches. Or Psalm 119, 148, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. You know, and during the day, uh, we have things that our mind is is required to be occupied with because we have to work, we have to provide for our families. And so here the psalmist is feeling that pressure and he says, you know what? I long for the nighttime because the nighttime my mind is free to think on what I want to think on and what I'm going to think on is the Word of God. I long for the evening so I can meditate upon the Word of God. Now I'm going to close with this. As you think about meditation practically, how does this? What does this look like? Well, this is how I do it in my life, and so I'll just I'll lay this before you. I start with uh, I'll take an example like the meditation verse I had yesterday and today is Isaiah 26:3. It says. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. And so the way I begin is I open my app in the morning, my Bible memory app, and I work through that verse again several times until I can do it where it's blank at least three times and get it word perfect. And then I shut off the app and I say it word perfect in my head a few times until I can nail it every time. Then I'm ready to move on to the next step. Now I have it memorized. I've cut the orange, and I begin to pray through the verse. What that looks like is you think, the steadfast of mind, God, help me to be steadfast in my thinking. Help me to be rock solid in my thoughts. You will keep in perfect peace. Thank you, Father, for the peace that you provide, not in changing my circumstances, but in the midst of my circumstances, when my mind is set on you. I begin to pray through the verse. Okay, now we're squeezing the orange, right? We're getting the, we're getting the juice out of the orange. Then you commit yourself to bring your mind intentionally back to that verse throughout the day. And this can be really easy as long as you connect it to sin. Anybody go a day without sinning? <laughs> no? Well, if, you'll, if you will commit yourself that every time that I, I recognize that I'm tempted to sin in my attitude and with my eyes with my thoughts, I will quote my verse, I will bring it to mind, I will meditate instead upon the truth. That's put off, renew your mind, and put on. I'm going to meet that temptation with my meditation verse. And I'm going to, even for two seconds, at your computer at work, you're tempted to be angry at your boss, or tempted to return, bring your, Isaiah 26 six three. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because you trust in you. God help me to trust in you even in this moment. Okay, you're bringing... It's it's that fast, okay? This is not an hour of meditation. It is meditation throughout the day. And if, if you struggle and to build the practice, then do it with with your quiet time in the morning. Set an alarm at lunch and say it a couple of times at lunch and set an alarm before you go to bed to say it a couple of times before you go to bed. Before you know it, the pattern will be there. But if you just commit to connect it to your sin, you'll be saying it all day long, right? Just connect it to your sin and now the temptations, that billboard that used to make you desire to lust or that jogger down the street that used to draw your eye, instead of that springboarding you into sinful thoughts, if you take that temptation and connect it now to meditate on the truth, now it's springboarding you into biblical meditation and you're going to grow in your sanctification instead of growing in a, a filthy mind or, or an angry heart or an impatience or whatever it may be. Okay, So that's how we take the Word of God And we do the final step, which is apply the Word of God. That's basically what we're saying. Apply the Word of God. Take it from studying it, reading it, to that timeless principle, and now I'm applying it to my life as I meditate on it throughout the day. That's Bible intake. That may sound like a high standard, and perhaps it is, but I think you can already see if we make this a reality, if this is who we are in secret, In the privacy of our mind and our heart, then we can lead our, our families, we can lead our wives, we can lead at work. When my mind's full of the Word of God and I have that opportunity with a co-worker, I'm already thinking biblically and so it springs into a gospel conversation much more naturally than it would if I'm just fuming at my boss or I'm lusting over an image or whatever it may be. And so as we turn our minds to truth, we are leading our wives, and our families, because we're leading our own hearts, okay? Let me pray with us, and we'll be done. Lord God, we thank you for the rich treasure of your Word. We thank you for how practical it is. So many times it seems to us to be far off and far removed, but that's just because we've misunderstood. The Word of God is living and active in the sense that your Spirit uses it. As we understand it in context, it uses the word of God, to sanctify us, to to convict us of sin, and to empower us to walk in righteousness. And so we pray that we would be men of the word, that we would be men who love the truth, who live the truth, whose minds are filled with it. May we hold each other accountable to these things, and we pray that it would filter over to our leadership in the areas of leadership you've given us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.